The Quocast, a status quo fan podcast. This is Jamie Dyer welcoming you to another edition of The Quocast. And I'm joined today by Andrew. Tell me, how did you get into status quo? Great to be here, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Um, when I was a kid, I um, used to listen to, um, we used to have this old Beach Boys tape, which would be in the car when um, we would drive to my grandparents from Woking to Bookham. And then I discovered to my mum's Beatles tapes. And then it was in sort of the 95, 96 period, I was about, I'd have been just turning 10, that my dad walked in one day and um, he, well, he, he, he played us um, a song from a band he'd seen in December 95, a band that he'd grown up with, and it turned out to be Quo, and I thought, well, oh, that's all right. And then in January, he played us um, Fun, 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 the Quo version on Don't Stop. And I thought it was brilliant. Um, how he liked the Beach Boys, I thought, wow, this is this is great. Um, and then listened to the Don't Stop album, like the tracks like uh, Proud Mary, Get Out of Denver, um, Get Back, um, and then some of the others. These days, I really like When You Walk in the Room, for instance. And um, suddenly found myself getting into this band and then um, discovered my dad had some CDs, um, put Live Alive Quo on, and the rest was absolutely history. Um, and then in December of 96, um, went to my first Quo gig in Bournemouth, sitting on the shoulders of a friend of my dad for the entire gig. How he did that, I've got no idea. Um, and, uh, well, that was the start of a sort of love in with Quo, really. Which, um, in in the usual narrative of a Quo fan, normally they talk about, you know, seeing them in the late 70s, early 80s, and <laughs> thus starting a love affair. But you're saying that you saw, you first heard them on the Don't Stop album and then, of course, went from there discovering some fairly contemporary recordings thanks to Live Alive Quo and then seeing them in 96. I mean, what did you think when you went back to those earlier albums? Yeah, so I, I, my way then back then would have been that on an old video, saw a recording of Quo, End of the Road. So was able to sort of stick that on the TV and enjoy that. Um, and then try and work out the history of the band, realising, for instance, oh, the, the bass player's changed and the drummer looks different. Um, and so I then went back and sort of discovered the hits, really. So um, would have been a greatest hits album, um, would have taken me through the history. And then over the next few years, at birth, with my, at my birth, during my birthday, I would get money and Dad and I would go up to London and I'd sort of pick out some albums to buy, really, and he'd give me a little bit of a steer. So you'll really like the live album, Honest, um, which someone who happened to be there at the time was like, go on, son, buy that one. <laughs> um, so I did. Um, but most of that time, it was kind of the songs I knew and then seeing what studio albums they were on. So having a mix of the hit, of the various you know, greatest hits albums, like Rock and Low the Years, and then Whatever You Want came out, which I know was your way really into Quo. Yeah, the um, best then, of, yeah. Yeah, but that's right. Exactly. So then from there, I would look and think, so would have been quite the eclectic mix. I'd have bought um, Hello, um, Pile Driver, um, but also, oh, I like Burning Bridges from Live Alive Quo, so I would have bought Ain't Complaining. Um, so quite the mix from there. But as I sort of went on, um, I guess the sort of 90, so 90s album, so Thirsty Work my dad already had and some of the albums he had on vinyl. Um, so I had to give those a spin, but from there kind of found my way through. And then 
some of the 70s stuff. Um, originally, sort of the hits get you in, but then you discover tracks like Backwater and Don't Waste My Time. And then years later, some of the really more, I guess, niche quo tracks that the likes of you and I and others love, like, I don't know, The Wild Ones or Take Me Away, um, Shady Lady. Um, but also some of the softer stuff of um, you know, rock and roll or living on an island. Um, I mean, I, I enjoyed it when they brought For You back, when they did For You a few years ago, because I think that guitar solo is fantastic. Um, and they're in, so quite the spread over the years, sort of lean more towards the sort of harder edge, but also I got a lot of time for the more poppy and enjoy that as well. And do you think that's because um, you say that you were around 10 years old in the mid-90s? Do you think that's because the wider music scene was a lot more kind of commercial and polished? That's a really interesting question because part of me rebelled against that. Kind of everyone's like in their sort of boy bands and pop groups. And I'm like, well, I've discovered this band that play, he play heavy rock and play loud. Um, so I kind of rebelled against that. But I wonder if you're right that actually... It then made it easier and with the starting point of things like don't stop and then working backwards is probably easier than say starting as a um a hardcore frantic for 70s you know that's your youth and then it must be a bit harder to stomach some of the other stuff so i probably had it easier to start there and then go back perhaps um yeah good question there are so many things to to talk to you about here because you sent me an email beforehand and you said it reads like a, a CV. <laughs> and I know that there will be a lot of Quo fans that will be quite envious of the uh, the things that you've managed to do. So give us a little bit of a rundown on some of your experiences uh, with Quo. I think really fortunate. Um, I was, yeah, just yeah, really fortunate with... Um, the one that springs to mind, although <laughs> it's quite funny how it ends up, but back in um, around the um, sort of just be just before heavy traffic came out, um, a channel channel four wants to do a documentary on the band. And the documentary was put out, I think in the September around when heavy traffic came out, but obviously been filmed in the year before. And that documentary was rock on and on, which um, I know it's split opinion quite savagely on the message board about various things with the with the band and everything else but they were looking for people to interview and that got put on the message board which I was on at the time and so I I applied but my occupation was paperboy so when they were going down looking through the people to possibly interview they thought hang on a minute paperboy and realized oh this guy's in his teenage years and so I kind of became I guess the token young quo fan to go down and interview so they sent someone to interview me to see how i do and that seemed to go well and then they sent this whole crew down to interview me in my bed to interview me so my bedroom with all the sort of cds and posters and everything else and then they wanted me to basically um mime leap around the living room like a madman to various recordings so stuff from live live quo stuff from the Radio 2 broadcast of the um, Brighton gig from the Don't Stop tour. So things like Caroline, Rock of the World, whatever you want, the, the usual suspects, and to go nuts, um, sort of leaping around the living room like there's no tomorrow. Um, they interviewed my dad as well, which was cool. And then they said, oh, we, and we've arranged for you to meet the band, which I, I just was, I, there was no guarantee of that, and I deliberately not asked anything, but they put that one in. So then we 
went down to Brighton and sort of the backstage pass. But my dad's a church church minister, so the order from Francis Rossi had come. Yeah, of course they can meet us. Um, but his dad needs to wear his dog collar. Um, and um, we, we got we we got there, and you know, it was just so exciting to meet the band and Francis and Rick and Rhino and Andrew and no, it wasn't Andrew at the time. It had been Paul Hirsch and Matt Letley, of course. Um, but really, Francis Rossi's you know hero growing up. So to meet him was an absolute thrill. And he, he was just as ever. When a few times I've met Francis, he's just such he, you know with him what you see is what you get, and he is so down to earth. Um, so he sort of I came over and. We said hello and he was like, oh, you're the one who knows every friggin' lyrics, every friggin' song. So the way the TV crew would <laughs> introduce me. So they filmed me. You know, they didn't film that part, but they filmed us going to the gig, walking in. They arranged for us to meet backstage. They filmed me during the gig. Um, I was concerned because I'd seen signs saying you must sit, which I was like, sit in a quo gig. What that, what's that one about? Um, and Simon Porter was saying ignore that. And, and actually, that was the one gig where someone did ask me to sit down. And it sounds so pretentious, but I turned around and said, I can't, I'm being filmed for the gig. Um, I think it was during rain or something, just going for it. Um, and so during growing up as a, you know, in, you know, as a quote fan, you take a lot of flack, especially at my age, like from people. But everyone had thought, you know, fair play, we've given you a load of flack over the years, but this is incredible for you, what an opportunity. And everyone in my year was ready to watch the documentary. And then what did it have on it? two seconds of me and my dad walking that was it <laughs> which was a kind of on the one hand the biggest what like all that filming and everything else it felt like such a letdown but on the other hand to meet the band um on that evening was utterly incredible and just that sort of thing is you you spent years dream of oh, i'd love to meet the band and then it just happened one evening um was just brilliant so that was one of the stories which I was very fortunate to have a kind of smack bang in the middle of my teen years. Yeah, I mean, what a way to be compensated. You were filmed for all that time doing all these quite embarrassing things because in your teens, you know, you are a tad rebellious. You think, well, no, I don't want to do that unless you were really, really into it. And so then to meet the band and not have any of your footage used, you're like, well, yeah, but I met the band. That's great. Um, what a great thing. Of course, heavy traffic um around that time that was a real comeback album for all concerned wasn't it yeah heavy traffic was i look back on that sort of era just so fondly i was kind of 16 had some money um able to go to more gigs started to meet people some of the quo fans from the message board and other places and make some good friendships and start to discover other bands and do the classic kind of you know couple nights on the trot or drive to places um with friends which was great um and discover other bands and i remember my 18th a bunch of quo fans were very kind and brought me a ticket and plane trip to see them in belfast which was just brilliant um and in the with heavy traffic i was fortunate enough to get a ticket for the um the album launch with the orient express and the arc royal so i got to meet the band again um and on that one got ended up getting filmed a bit as well again kind of a token young fan who had his cardboard cut out guitar which i i think so i met the guy who actually made it. it was he had it at the famous in the last century gig at shepherd's bush it got left at the end i grabbed it and then reinforced it in a up behind using the dt department at school and then took that to gigs sort of having my guitar so not so much a air guitar but having that and so i've actually got a great photo 
somewhere Francis and Rick with these <laughs> cardboard guitars on the Orient Express. Um, that was a that was a phenomenal day, and um, some of, and ironically with the rock on and on documentary with all that filming for two seconds, um, there was the one and only show which was on ITV, which I know is out on DVD, and there's a little bit of footage of from the Art Royal gig. I think Andrew Bounds talked about how great the fans are. And then the camera sort of closes up on this mad teenager at the front, head banging, then it slow mo's and it goes to a teenager with a sort of squeaky, knackered voice on the Orient Express. So many times he's, like, he's seen them and he loves them. And I'm like, oh, that's me. Um, so, that was, that it, so that was kind of just, you just can't believe it. it's a 16-year-old suddenly getting people asking you questions and filming you and stuff about the band whilst getting to meet them. It was incredible. I mean, why, why do you think that there is that attitude? And that was amazing, by the way, but why do you think there is that attitude <laughs> towards younger fans? Why do you think, you know, fans who've been fans for a long time look at people who were like 16, 17, 18, sometimes up to 25, 30? And go, why, why are you interested? How are you interested? Why do you, why do you think that exists? I think some of it's the jibe about, you know, kind of, I mean, they were considered old when I was in school and you think, good grief. I mean, how many years are we on now? I mean, if they were old then, I mean, what are they now? So I think it's that kind of, well, it's the kind of maybe dad rock type image or, and they've never, you know, they've never, the wonderful thing about Quo is they've never been bothered about the credibility thing and the cool thing. And so whilst you can do the obvious of, oh, Zeppelin fan, great, or I like Queen or, um, you know, great bands, of course. But quite have never been so you got I think you've got the double whammy of the age thing. Anyway, they're considered an old band, but also they're not considered that cool in that sense. And probably maybe some of the the worldwide thing. I wonder if I wonder if the having never cracked the states affects reputation a little bit. I'm not sure it should do, but I wonder if that's in there somewhere. I, I don't know. Um, but I also I think you know the teen years can just be you stand out on anything and um, you make yourself a bit of a target. So I think there's those things as well um but whatever really yeah you keep um rocking but uh <laughs> but uh, yeah um how many gigs have you been to of quotes i used to keep count i used to have a spread i used to keep count and then it got lost but i think probably over 50 um with the different sort of um well current quo the frantic four gigs which off the charts those were um and then some of and then francis's solo gigs and stuff but yeah i'd say over 50 i think um sort of peaked around the sort of 2002 to 2004 five ish was kind of peak going to loads those years and then it tapered off a bit but usually i'd get to at least one maybe two a year You'd be one of those fans that Rickard would always say, you know, they'll come to your neck of the woods. You'd put the denim on and uh, and and go and see them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just grab, you know, grab the t-shirt, grab the, you know, get the jeans on, sorted. Exactly. Um, you you make reference there to seeing Francis solo gigs. I mean, how did that differ from uh, a normal quo gig? I went to the um, the one in Birmingham. Um, and I thought I think partly was the excitement of seeing seeing what Francis would do with the solo stuff, but also I think the the trip the, the thing that always comes up in the debates about Quo is amongst the fans of the set list. Um, like I, again, it's difficult. I'm one of those who would love to. 
on a selfish level, you know, I'd go for it. I'd love a purist set, um, which is why the, when the Frantic fought to death thing, it was amazing. Um, but also I get, you know, there's certain songs that have to be in, but sometimes it did seem to be sort of when it would be the same two years on the trot, that did seem a bit, you could tweak it a little bit, lads, but what, what stood out about France's um, gig in, at, 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 on that tour was it was such a sort of, it, sort of an early 90s, but also quite a lot of fourth chord stuff in there, but you really did not know what was coming next. So obviously you knew it was going to start the shuffle of Caroline, the Caroline shuffle version, but then to go into Claudie and then Polly, which like him, I think is a great track. And then, but then you'll come round and then some of the other stuff later, like tongue tied was, was just brilliant. And then to end it with can't give you more, just gave that sort of great up tempo end. And then, and then the surprise was that he did don't waste my time in the encore, which I wasn't expecting. So I think that sort of, it really was. I remember Rick made that comment once about the set. This was going to be a fireworks display. Never knew what was coming. And, it wasn't and but that night it did feel a bit like well i have no idea what's coming next um and obviously a lot of the stuff from the one step at a time album which i really enjoyed and i mean absolutely that gig was fantastic it was yeah you didn't know what to expect i thought he did brilliantly and um then my dad went to the salukes gig um which he did which sound wise was amazing what a venue yeah i mean on the on the dvd and blu-ray it looks amazing and i must say the biggest curveball for me the biggest surprise was he stuck blessed are the meek from mm. uh, the under the influence album in the middle there it was like wow when when did you ever think you were gonna think and i think it was because it was a francis rossi solo gig kind of showing what francis rossi does yeah. you know and one of those is right, really catchy, kind of countryfied songs. And certainly with that and Tongue Tied, which is an amazing song, um, they were in there. Plus My Little Heartbreaker, I think, was also in there. He also did a heavy traffic track. I think it was Digging Burt Bacharach. Yeah, Digging Burt Bacharach. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a, an amazing thing. But you say your dad went to the St. Luke's gig. Um, there were quite a few issues that night weren't there there were sort of little technical things because they were filming it for the dvd and i think there were times where things went wrong and he had to do a little bit of overdubbing later did you hear anything about that well i didn't notice anything wrong on the night per se but what i will say is the version of can't give you more that's on the blu-ray and dvd is not what i remember being played that night um and i hadn't had anything to drink so my memory could be poor but it, it didn't have the, it didn't, from my memory, it didn't start with the OOOs bit. It just started with a da, 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 and then in there, which is certainly, I think, what he did orig, uh, on the tour originally. So I think, yeah, you, you kind of pick up on the interview on the extras afterwards that there's a few things which he wasn't happy with, but I thought it was a great night. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I know some people, some people can notice those things straight away. And I'm one who maybe later on can pick it up on the recording, but. In, in a live gig, I'm just there to rock on, have a good time, and enjoy the music. Yeah, and why not? There was a, a an excellent selection on there. I mean, did you go to his recent "I Talk Too Much" tour as well? Yep, I am. Um, so we went. My my wife and I went uh, to the "Talk Too Much" one in Exeter. So I live in Plymouth these days, and we went and having. I'm denied about a meet and greet on the Frantic Four tour and not done it. And then thought in 2014, oh, I'll do it. And they didn't offer one that time. I was like, I'm not missing out this time. So 
we we went for the meet and greet um, option. And Francis was was brilliant. He sort of, as we were going through, um, it was so well done. I think hats off to all involved. Um, we went through sort of looking in our direction. I said to my wife, do you want to go first? And she said, oh, I think you should go first, to which Francis piped up, do what she frigging tells you, mate, which I thought was great marriage advice. Um, and so help me you know, you shake hands. And I know from one of the pods, you said that your moment when you saw him in the book signing was brilliant. And he was just, it was great. I pulled out, um, I had um, a photo from, I think it was a publicity shot on the Ark Royal for Jam Side Down, which back on the Ark Royal gig, I'd got Andrew Rhino and um, Matt Letley to sign. I hadn't found Francis and Rick and obviously too late to get Rick signed, sadly. Um, but I took that along. Francis just looked at like, wow, what's this? And got him to sign it. And I was the thought that was quite cool of, you know, 17 years on getting him to sign this thing um got my wife to sign get get took got my wife to get something signed as well and she was great because I think it, it wasn't it was obvious to him that sort of who the fan was but also that my wife was there as well and genuinely interested he was just so good with her um and the photos that we had were you know good banter and good fun and we had a quick chin wag after that um because I was thinking he must he must both love that people are coming to hear him speak, but on the other hand, find it so bizarre that people want to do that, um, which sort of caught him in sort of thinking. He's like, yeah, quite. And then we got talking and then the show was great. And then afterwards, I'd said to my wife, should we go and do round two with the book and the CD? Because I'd be taking something else to get signed. And he sort of gave us that look of, hang on, you're back. Um, I just thought the evening itself was great. I thought it was very enjoyable. Um, the stories were really interesting. There was the ones you... You know, some of the stories won't be new, but some of the other ones um, were new. I were, which was great. Um, and I'm, you know, I mean, I about whether to go, depending on what happens with COVID, of course, to whether to go this summer again. I, I'd be keen, but my wife and I need to have a little chat about that. What an experience that was to do a meet and greet because that show was very different to the normal quo thing and there were quite a you know i think the majority of them were like hardcore quo fans certainly in the in the thing and the others who like going to that type of thing that perhaps wouldn't go to the normal so a nice mixture of people but it was a very loose evening in my experience because um i had a feeling that every night that he did it it was different in some way yeah, I, 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 I would have the same impression. I mean, we, I guess you'd have to. It would, it would be interesting to know if someone went to several and whether they, whether it was like that. Um, I did hear from one friend of mine that the kind of the actual evenings were exactly as you said, but sometimes the questions could be same, could be quite samey. But I don't know whether that was the case or not. But I think, like you say, a, a good mix of people. And I thought, you know, it seemed like Francis was really enjoying himself, and I think. That's, you know, I really hope he was because he looked like it. And I think, you know, he's earned the right to really be able to do this thing and really enjoy it. And I know for a lot of fans, just to be able to meet, get the book signed and just watch him in those little arenas, I think, in those little theatres, I think is great. So, yeah, I, I hope he does it. I'd, I'd also like him to go and do a solo tour again, but we'll see what happens. One of these days, I'm, I'm sure he will. I always felt sad that he didn't... Um decide to tour the hannah rickard album because i thought that that was really strong and and actually for those who went to the 
I Talk Too Much gig. I should say that uh, he played a great version of the Coronation Street theme, which I was not expecting <laughs> to to see before the night um, began. Yeah, there was um, a few surprises. And the um, I can't remember the name of the song is that he, I think it was his mum played when he used to fall down the stairs and hurt his head. He played that a few times. Yeah, Papa Piccolino. That's the one. Mm-hmm. I know. Well, he go. He just there's just something. I, I think uh, you, you can appreciate it in a quo gig, the skill and talent of this guitarist. But when he just picks up a guitar and just starts playing immediately, this is a really, a uh, really talented guy. You have a, a whole newfound appreciation. Yeah, he's he's so un, he's so underrated. I think more as a guitarist than as a frontman. I think anyone who's ever I think anyone, I think most people who've seen Quo or know about the band realise he's such a great front man. Um, but I think he's criminally underrated as a guitarist. And maybe that's because he's maybe restricted himself in some of the Quo stuff to what's needed for that. You know, he, he knows what needs a good song. It doesn't necessarily need another chord or whatever. But I think moments like that, as you, as you say, you just realise how good he is. Um, yeah, criminally underrated, I think. I suppose the thing to go on to now, because you made reference earlier, and if we don't touch upon it, I'll get some angry emails going, you should have asked them about that. It was awesome. The Frantic Four reunion gigs, which you went to two years in a row. I sadly only went to the 2013 uh, gig, but the the 2013-14, both of them had their um real bonuses didn't they the first one being in my opinion that it was the first time anyone had seen them for years and years and years so it, it was this we never thought this would happen and the second one they just improved on the first one and chucked in all these different extras that we weren't expecting yeah i think i remember reading a comment by rhino about it where he said 2013 was the better I think we're saying like the better event or better gig, but 2014 was the better playing. And I think that nails it. 2013 was the atmosphere at Hammersmith was incredible. Um, I just think it was, you know, the sort of normal quo gig, everyone from eight to 80, and that's fantastic. And everyone's having a good time. But this was the one you knew full well as the hardcore, some others, those who probably hadn't seen them for years. Um, both my brothers, myself, my dad, a friend, we, we went and, I think what summed up for me was my my younger brother. We we had our, our beers, and my younger brother was standing there. And then the, there was that class intro with the sort of Jackie Linton bit from Alive redone with the all that's going on. The camera, then the curtain fell, and they went into juniors. And my brother's pint almost went flying. You thought this never happens at a normal quo gig, and I mean I've never seen a bad gig at Hammersmith, um, but this was just you realised oh we are we we are in, and um, I have. Um, I don't know who did it, but I've got sort of it's on. I'm sure it's on YouTube as well. But the sort of DVD of Hammersmith in 2013, and just watching the crowd. I mean, that's kind of a oh yeah. When you think quo, it's like this is what a crowd goes for and looks like. And with that as well, I tried to steer clear from the set from the set as much as I could. But people unintentionally were dropping spoilers left, right, and centre on Facebook. So what can you do? But I thought it was. It was good. I thought it was rightly honouring of Van Lancaster and John Coughlin. I thought there was a great mix of how it worked in terms of the set. Um, and then 2014, um, absolutely brilliant as well. I think the bit where 4,500 times got extended and then sometimes the segues don't work, but it, 
on the one hand, I'd love to have heard them go for 20 minutes or 4,500 times. On the other hand, I knew that wasn't going to happen. So the segue into Gotta Go Home, I thought, was really good. And I think 2014, objectively, I think that's when, when I go back and watch it, you know, I love watching the footage from the Dublin gig, the Frantic Force final fling and on the Blu-ray. I love that. But I think the sort of one that still gets the hair standing is that sort of that night at Hammersmith in 2013. Um, absolutely up there in terms of quo gigs. Um, what, I mean, as an, as an event, I mean, gosh, I don't, as an event, it was absolutely up there. One of the best I've ever been at. Just what a night, what a night the crowd was electric and i know that you said earlier about how francis said oh you must be one of those people that knows the <laughs> words to every song I'm about to say it's four to five thousand who know every lyric to every song of that night yeah absolutely i mean there was there were some gigs i think during the first tour certainly where they had to stop playing because the crowd was so loud I mean, what I mean on the, Ham- on the Hammersmith album, he does say about you know the best crowds at Glasgow usually, but tonight they're at Hammersmith, and that's that's not knocking the Scots or Glasgow. It's just that Hammersmith those nights were it was just off the charts. I've in a in a quo gig, I've never been in a crowd quite like it, and it was oh, it was brilliant, absolutely fantastic. And I wonder whether um, speaking hypothetically here, I wonder whether Rick kind of thought for all this time you know we get a good crowd so it's a nice crowd and then walking out at somewhere like hammersmith in 2013 and there's this massive Mm. roar that they could probably hear up (laughs) the road um you know for miles around (laughs) and and thought this is i'm i'm home almost you know almost you don't know what you've missed until it's pointed out to you properly you know that's kind of what what must have been going through his mind. Yeah, I think for me, that first night, I, that was the night that I really appreciated how good John Coughlin was. Um, just like an express engine on those drums. And I love going to see JCQ um, when I, I mean, I've had, I love going to see them. But I, I, Rick, you, as you, I think you've nailed it, that with Rick, you'd have just been, you know, as the one who loves to, loves to be the rocker, loves to have the crowd's adulation. I think I can imagine, I mean, people will know the technicality of this a lot better than I will. I can imagine Francis is the perfectionist who, you know, with his famous comments about the live album in the 70s, which we all love for exactly the reasons he struggles with it. I can imagine he's thinking, oh, but technically and the notes and everything else. But I think, yeah, I mean, there is a bit of that, but as an event and as a band and with all the love that was, I mean, the love for the band was incredible. Um, and I think Rick was just thinking exactly what you thought of, wow, this is, this is it. This is in terms of the adulation of what it could be. And then the heavier. And he seemed like to be having a great time each night with Alan and John. You think, like, I'm glad. I think with all, all the sadness, obviously, of 2016 and Rick's passing, I think I'm so glad that they got to do that. Um, and I think that's made a lot of people very happy. And I, I, I hope it made him happy too be able to do that sort of one, two more times you know, for a couple of years. And, and, and it was great. I mean, I never thought it would happen. Um, and <laughs> it happened. Yeah. For fans like you and I that didn't see any of this stuff originally, and all we've got is sometimes dusty old clips or things from TV shows or mimed 
in the most part or or clips with a lot of zoom so you can't really see what's going on <laughs> uh, it, it was a, certainly an eye-opener i'm about four or five years younger than you so i have very much the same thing that i never thought i was going to see these guys live and as they went from backwater into just take me and hearing coglin on those drums doing that um wonderful drum fill that he does into just take me i was like i'm i've arrived i'm here you know um almost like this isn't exactly what it would have been like in 1974 but it's as close as you're ever going to get to it because they adopted a lot of the equipment that they were using in that period and as the tour um went on you know it got more and more frantic for heavy as you say with the added bits into 4500 times uh, gotta go home i think there were a couple of extra songs added uh, into the mix there and, and the arrangements tweaked slightly um, but like you and I, I never thought that this would this would happen you know it was an amazing thing as just as just a quo fan but obviously since then uh, we've had the sad passing of of rick parfit and his solo album which again was like this is a gift yeah recorded yeah you just think um over and out is such a it's it's a it's an absolute boss album um almost a recorded delivery then which has also got some great stuff on it in terms of the b-side you hear on the 80s albums but yeah over and out it's you kind of one you didn't what one i didn't expect you know to get the album that the album would come out and two the, the the sort of the quality of tracks didn't necessarily expect that, but also the diversity um, of actually, oh, I'd have to, I can't remember what it's called, but there's one which sort of almost has that sort of doo-wop, slight, come yellow type thing, which I think is a lovely track. Um, Open Road is a bit heavy as, um, and then some of the guests as well of who were able to go on. I think it's a great album and um, yeah, it's, and, and it did. And, and I was also pleasantly surprised how well it did. I think all, you know, just brilliant that it did so well well the songs on it i mean over and out as a track is probably one of the best things that he's ever written and pretty much emphasizes what francis has always said about him that he wanted to be this rocker but he wrote really beautiful songs yeah and even going back to spare parts with uh, my grown tired of my love um what a lovely vocal on there and then you know power drive with with um unspoken words and then living on an island and that Rick, Rick you know it was that out and out rocker but also had the, the sort of more lighter moments as well um and, the, and those were beautiful you know beautiful moments which were great and he had the he had the full compliment as well and I think to be honest I think that's I know yeah everyone talks about France often with the country side of things but also he can go sort of heavier and some of the stuff that he wrote with Rick um Forty Five Amsterdam's Big Fat Mama, um, no problems from the Rock to You Drop album, um, but it can go softer. But also, Rick's got that in the locker, and it's it's it was it was great. Looking at the studio albums, and I'm gonna because I know of your age and I know the era that you got into. I'm gonna be very kind to you here. I'd like you to pick two albums, one from the so-called Golden Age. Okay, and then one from a little bit later than that, perhaps you know, within your <laughs> lifetime, that maybe others haven't quite given, um, given enough time to. So one from the golden era and one from sort of eighty six onwards. Um, 
I think the one that defines, I think for me, is heavy traffic. I think I don't know whether I don't know whether these days I prefer quid pro quo as an album. Um, I think quid pro quo has got some excellent stuff on it and has a better balance. I know on a pod a while back to talk about heavy traffic, but I think the first six tracks are superb. Then there's green, then jam side down, which I do like. And then it dips a bit. And I, but I really like rhythm of life as an ending. Even yeah, I like rhythm of life as last track. Um, but I think, in that moment, I think the band were on fire. It was kind of a return to form. For me personally, in terms of my experience of the band, it all came around that time. So I'm always, when I look back on sort of following Quo and the good times, they'll always, my, my mind's always going to sort of steer to heavy track, heavy traffic. And I think you had the poppy single of Jam Side Down, but you have a sort of classic out, what I think should be a classic album track in Solid Gold. I think, I remember being so excited when someone sent me a clip of that when they started doing that and, all stand up, but as it was, then never say never from a gig in Holland, I think, and just hearing Solid Gold and thinking, oh, wow, this is the same Ilka's paper plane down, down Caroline. And realising, of course, that Francis and Bob Young had got back together in songwriting. So I think, um, I think I'd think i say, so I'd say Heavy Traffic. I'd love someone to sort of do a bit of a remaster job on it at some point as well, just to see what that would be like. But yeah, Heavy Traffic. And then The Golden Era. I saw the poll. I saw Quo came out on top. Um, I would, which is a great album. It would be Hello or Pile Driver, and I think I'd give the nod to Hello. There's some good choices there, and uh, I like like the fact that uh, you mixed it up a little bit. I was surprised that Quo were topped that poll because it's probably the heaviest album that they ever did. But I remember looking over the results, and I got my wife to look them look them over and it seemed as though quo was in nearly every top five that there was like there were albums that that dropped in and out but of course you know if one album from the 70s wasn't in there it was replaced by quid pro quo or heavy traffic but quo was in there constantly but i was still surprised yeah i always thought i think quo is the i think of sort of each band person i you sort of think of I think of Francis with Blue For You. I think of Anne Lancaster with Quo. And I wonder if, if you know, I, I've, always assumed, I've always thought that a lot of the really sort of hardcore, those who love Anne Lancaster, and rightfully so, um, very much veer towards the Quo because of his contributions on it. And whether it'd be interesting over sort of include, like the mix of the people, uh, the mix of those who answer the poll. Because um, on other polls, I've always just, you know, I mean, we all sort of go with what we like. So, I sort of you know, hello and power drive. Then you think, but then on the level and quo and blue for you also great. I mean, we know the live album's brilliant. We'll stick to studios and then but then Mark Kelly and Dog are so good and and then things like Whatever You Want, I think it's a very underrated album. So but yeah, I, I it would be interesting if if all the if many of the people who answered it were say massive fans of Anne Lancaster, I could see Quo sort of being at the top and but you know, but you know it's that, that run of albums is just ridiculous. Um, just so good. So yeah, the choir album is just, is fantastic. Which is why I asked you to pick one of each because it is, just, <laughs> it is just yeah, really, it's really difficult, isn't it? But um, there we are. I, I realize here that we could talk for, for many hours yet, but I will hold it there and say, thank you, Andrew, for appearing on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Jamie. It's always good to talk to someone about choir. <laughs>